0: I think beach volleyball needs more personalities more animation more fun more intensity more rivals because people love rivalries and people like i mentioned earlier love a hero and a villain and they like when maybe that hero and villain are not that friendly that's the best but all these things they can't change overnight like i said i'm all for it like you gotta control it to a certain level but I like giving players the freedom to express themselves to a certain point. There's intensity. That's the cool thing about volleyball.
1: Beach volleyball podcast. My name is Mark Burrick and if you're on our email list and if you're paying attention, normally I don't get nervous for interviews. But this this is special. This is cool. This is somebody I've looked up to for a really long time and somebody that most of the world could should and does look up to Uh, you've heard his voice everywhere in volleyball you've seen his face everywhere in volleyball he's had enormous success and uh yeah i'm 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 not gonna lie i don't get like nervous or starstruck often but this is one of those times (laughs) where i'm i truly am so hopefully i don't mess this all up and and go all fanboy but I'm really excited to have this conversation and I'll give a, a little bit of his background. So, he's spent time mentoring students and uh, he's been a motivational speaker through a nonprofit organization called Getting to Gold. He founded a charity in 1997 called Blank first name, Day at the Beach. We can't give away his first name yet, but Day at the Beach, which provides urban youth with the opportunity to participate in beach volleyball. He became, this might give it away, he became the first male African-American to win a major beach volleyball event when he claimed the 1997 AVP Hermosa Beach Grand Slam. He was the United States' first two-time male beach volleyball Olympian. He has had a distinguished career as a sports broadcaster covering sports such as NBA basketball, Major League Baseball, college basketball, football, beach volleyball, for networks on ESPN, NBC, ABC, Fox Sports Net, Universal Sports Network, Pac-12 Networks, Olympic Channel, and Amazon Prime. And he's covered beach volleyball for NBC at the 2016 Olympics. In his first full season... He led the women of Troy, USC, to the 2021 NCAA championship after four years as a volunteer assistant, which we're gonna dive into how somebody with this amazing credentials goes into a volunteer assistantship as a coach. And he is an Olympic gold medalist. He's currently in his third season as the head coach of USC beach volleyball. Everybody, please welcome, and thank for coming on the show, Dane Blanton, Dane Blanton, man. I, I know we talked a little bit before and I, I don't know <laughs> if you know, like how kind of nervous I, I, I truly am, but I, I just really want to thank you for coming and, and hanging out. And with all that you have going on and uh, now, like we were talking off camera, you know, a four and a half year old and, and becoming a, a father and, and a husband and then coaching a premier NCAA program, plus being essentially the voice of beach volleyball for maybe the last 10, 10 years. I can't believe you took the time to come and talk. So thank you. I'll start uh, with that.
0: Th- thank you. Thanks for having me on. You know, I've, I've seen you doing your thing and the whole Better About Beach format is pretty cool. You know, the more you can help players get better, is that's kind of what it's all about. And thanks for that introduction and happy to be here. Hopefully we're going to have a good time. Yeah.
1: We're definitely going to have a good time. I've got, you know, a number of questions for you. And I do want to at some point tell a story that like made you a hero in my eyes as a young player in terms of heckling. But I guess the first question I'll ask that might be a good question for some people who are watching. How do you teach your players to handle heckling? To handle outside, like fans who are chirping, people who don't believe in you, the disbelievers. What would you say to to anybody who's not feeling that confident and thinks that they're getting hammered from the outside?
0: Are you talking like a live heckler at a tournament, kind of? Let's
1: start with that. Because I specifically saw one situation. I'll tell it right after your answer.
0: (laughs) That I was involved
1: with?
0: Yep. I mean, you know, it's as you if you grow up in the environment you kind of know that the beach volleyball is it's very clicky and a lot of trash talk and you kind of get used to it and you know it if you pick up the game a little later you might be surprised by being heckled but i think i grew up in the environment where you know i grew up down in orange county laguna beach when we would spend the night at the beach to watch the pro events in the morning and fortunately i had older brothers So I was able to go down at a younger age. I was probably 10 and this is, you know, mid-80s, and the first 10, 15 rows were taken if you came in the morning because people would bring down couches, bury kegs in the ground. I mean, it was a huge, like, party, and the fans were probably three feet from the sidelines. It was ridiculous. Like, if you chased a ball off the court, you were going through the, the crowd, and so to see, like, John Smith and Randy Stoklos and Mike Dodd and Hoblin come on the court Saturday morning and play, it was just like these guys were legends and it was at a time when the sport was so brand new and kind of cutting edge and you know prior to having x games and all the 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 competition that the sport has now but watching those guys play i mean they would get heckled all the time and so you would see that as a kid how they responded and sometimes things got out of control sometimes you know there would be kind of wrestling match i've seen randy stoklos go into the crowd and grab somebody (laughs) Uh, you you know I've seen all sorts of things so when you see that at a young age and then you know that it's possible right Mm -hmm. and you know you've kind of seen someone how they handle it and you know so when I you know I don't know what the story is that you have but when once I got to the professional level you're kind of ready for anything of course if a heckler's an idiot and he's talking you know about personal issues or race or something like that you know that can kind of derail things and it's mm-hmm. hard to to prepare for something like that but regular heckling you you love a good heckler you you got to appreciate him as an athlete i agree right? and I, if you're uh, getting if, involved you're showing interest in the
1: sport right it's yeah like, you and know if DC they're and some of them are
0: funny some of them are funny you know and you know a good heckler if he makes you laugh heckling <laughs> you then he's done a you know a pretty good job but um i'd love to hear the story that you're referring to
1: it was either manhattan or hermosa it had had to be one of them but somebody you were still playing the event this was after your gold medal and i think pretty sure you were playing with stafford
0: okay yeah that would have been like i played with stafford in 2010 that was the last tournament i played in
1: so somebody was sitting on the ground yapping the whole time and he was like you know has been and blah blah. blah and everybody's looking at this guy like you're making too much noise for somebody with his credentials right. and at some point you know I had not seen it to this point yet or seen a, a professional do it I've walked over I've had partners who walked over and you know shut some people up but he was sitting on the sand he walked over to the back over the banners and you held your ball and you stood like real tall like two feet from him and you asked him who are you and as he started talking he goes what's your name as he started talking he said i don't know it nobody here knows it and nobody cares what you have to say so keep quiet (laughs) (laughs) i was like Uh. (laughs) best that's heckler it. removal I have ever seen you know he chirps like maybe twice more like a peep you know at Adam right. but he was silenced he did not expect to be singled out as right. a heckler you know he's shown right. up for the crowd and <laughs> you didn't hear from him for the rest of the match except for one little like kind of like last walking right. away you know peep and no. I was like, that was the best reaction I've seen and way to like control and big dog somebody very right. calmly too yeah. <laughs> it's funny never when you're
0: you know like it's a lot easier when you are hidden into the in the crowd you know mm-hmm. and, and no and it's all just coming from a general area and then when it's like oh no it's just about you now you know what do you got, and so that's that's funny. I didn't I didn't remember it that vividly. That's that's good to hear. <laughs> I'm glad it worked, you know. I mean, he could have came back with twice the fire. You just never know, right? That's the risk of going into the crowd to talk to you know and involving someone in the crowd. But um, that's funny. I'm glad it worked. <laughs> <laughs> worked great. Is there a similar message? So when you're
1: now you're coaching at one of the the most prestigious. NCAA programs that there is and storied programs when you're teaching players, athletes about dealing with that pressure, dealing with negative fans. I mean, I was brutal to some, I was a a big time heckler in college for our women's team, I had their back nonstop, you know? And, And so to a college or even younger player, how would you tell them to deal with those negative actions the hecklers the people who are, who are coming from the outside and chirping on their game
0: yeah it's, it's hard because every situation is a little different you just you want to test your athletes in a practice situation where you're in a controlled environment I mean there's a lot of times like I'm refing a game and I make poor calls intentionally just to get that fire going you know that player riled up so you kind of have to and it's it's hard to like literally heckle one of your players, but you want to get them to the point to where they're so focused that, you know what, doesn't matter what the crowd's saying, doesn't matter what the ref's saying, doesn't matter that it's windy, that it's raining, that, you know, you just teach this. Hey, whatever I'm dealing with out there, probably the opponent's dealing with the same thing. But, you know, with heckling, maybe not, right? That you're mm-hmm. getting the brunt of something. But it's a matter of being basically okay with your game, being able to focus with the distractions, because you know how it is. There's always distractions. And so every situation is different, but. I try to teach the players to keep that focus regardless. You know, I don't say, hey, you're gonna experience a heckler, or hey, one day the wind's gonna be blowing the way you don't like it, or you just throw different things out, like maybe there's a great play, and all of a sudden the ball rolls on the court, you know, and and they lose the point and you gotta do it again. And you just have to be just a you kind of not a machine, but you have to just keep getting up and going at it and going at it regardless of what the distraction is i really like to say the one thing that is inevitable is going to be a challenge or an obstacle in your face right that's like that is going to happen i tell that when we're doing anything when we're traveling when we're hey there's you know we could get a delayed fight our flight could get canceled we might show up late we might You know what I mean? There's just like, if you're ready and then when those instances happen, you say to yourself, hey, this is what I was talking about. We don't control what happens to us. We control how we respond to it, right? So it's like, oh, we're stuck in the airport for four more hours. Well. we got to study more. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? You can either, you know, bitch about it and kick rocks or try to be productive about it. So that's kind of how I approach it. You know, not specific heckling, but distractions.
1: One of our other guests on our podcast said that we teach and we tell our girls that the obstacles, the things that happen bad, we approach it as this is what is supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to get obstacles. Mm -hmm it shouldn't treat it as the unexpected or the unfortunate but right. it is the road that we're walking and this road has rocks and mountains and peaks and valleys and that's the road that we chose to walk so embrace it as if every little problem was truly yeah. supposed to be there and i yeah. kind of like the way that, that that was put
0: yeah that's that's very true you, that's the one constant is challenges and obstacles like they're going to happen so get ready. And, and then I think those that manage those situations better usually are victorious and more successful for sure.
1: You know, we'll go probably to a conversation you've had a million times, but to your gold medal, right? Mm-hmm. I guess in my twenties, all through my twenties, every time I showed up to a tournament, I sensed my body. I felt like, mm, it's this tightness or this looseness or this fatigue. And I would look at it and feel it. And be like, mm, it's a little bit less than prime, or it's mm. too tight, you know, or too loose, or oh, my legs are jello. And I think I would let that affect how I played, I would actually change because of how I felt my body. And I wondered for so long, like, man, I I bet Jake always just feels perfect. You know, I Mm -hmm. I bet Phil always feels perfect, but then you get older and you start seeing like Jake had the stomach flu when he won in in Seattle and he was just clamping people, Phil was winning with a torn ab and you're just like, oh, wait, these guys aren't feeling perfect all the time. They're managing all of these and maybe they're just doing it better or mentally better so when you're coming up and then crushing the world how did you approach going into a match with different body feels or was that ever even something that entered your mind
0: no absolutely like that's one of the the most important lessons an athlete can learn as they're getting better and progressing in their career that there's no perfect there's no perfect feeling usually i mean there's times when you feel really good and you're ready to go but A lot of times you got little kinks, your neck's tight, or, you know, maybe you actually have an injury or, you know, you slept wrong or you didn't eat well or you ate something bad and you're not feeling well. I mean, I've played in finals where, you know, I've thrown up before just feeling sick. But you I think, like you said, you eventually learned. No, not not me, not the next person shows up every day and it's perfect. It's like you learn to manage the game that you show up with. On that day right Mm -hmm. it's like if you know if you golf sometimes you go out and you start hitting balls and every ball is going out to the right right at at a certain point you realize i'm not going to fix this so maybe i'm going to start aiming a little more to the left do you see what i mean so that the ball so the ball ends up in the fairway right you can either fight it or you can work with it right that's an interesting
1: when i thought about maybe your response to this I was thinking like, don't let that feeling change your game. Just do whatever you practiced and stick with that. But you're saying, feel what you have, feel yeah. what it is and, and adjust to that in the moment. Is that
0: kind yeah, of yeah? I mean, think about it for a while, you're going to be fighting. Like you've trained, right? You've gotten to this point. You're not going to train yourself in the next 10 minutes. Right? Mm. So you're getting this, there's some reason whether something's not firing that the ball's going a certain direction, you can, continue to fight that and throughout your whole round of golf and everything keeps going in the trees to the right or you can say oh this is the kind of game that I'm working with today you know like you might show up and you can't bury the ball at 90% you're only your toughest hits 80 70% for some reason I that today yeah right <laughs> so you maybe start using a little more shots, right? Maybe use that hit when you know the space is open, but maybe you're not gonna have that fast lightning arm swing that's gonna beat the block every time. And then you gotta kind of adjust that game. But I think it feeling it and working with it rather than completely fighting it, like this isn't what I do, I know what I normally do, I gotta get back to that. And then you have this internal you know, feeling you know, it's like a jump serve, right? Some people have great jump serves, but some days they're just not on. So they have to make a decision. Do I keep ripping it into the net or out of bounds, whatever, or do I manage this? Do maybe I go to my float serve? Maybe I go to the short deep? You know, it's like in basketball, if you're a shooter, you, you know, and you're in a slump, you kind of keep shooting out of that slump, right? That, that
1: seems to me like two different answers where like, you know, you'd say like, keep shooting Kobe, like, you well, know right. that eventually you're going to make it
0: right i mean if you're a shooter you know that's what you do but mm-hmm. i'm talking when you're dealing with your whole game right your whole game if my shot's dead off i'm going to start driving to the hoop a little more mm. you know what i mean it doesn't mean that i completely put the shot away it means that hey i'm aware that i'm a little off and maybe i could turn up the dial on some other stuff that maybe I don't normally do until you know it after this match or after this tournament I go back to try to make get to a situation where that doesn't happen again right you never want to show up and you don't have your whole toolbox I think you got to feel it you have to listen to your body you got to feel it because there's enough conflicts out there right you're trying to win something and the people on the other side are trying to get that same prize so recognize where you're at recognize what you have that day of course, you want to use your best tools, but if something's not working, you can, you know, you can go down swinging. You know, it's like say I'm a great hitter and I play ninety percent of the teams, and I'm just beating them. The the blocks late. And then I get to the finals and I'm playing, you know, Anders Moll, right? Or like a Phil. And it's just like, boom, 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 boom. They're blocking you off the court. You know, I've seen guys like, who are the Netherlands team? Uh, Brouwer, is it? Mm-hmm. You said Brower. I, yeah. you know, I used to accommodate a lot of the international game. And this guy's a hitter. He's going to hit, he's going to win hitting, he's going to lose hitting and that's an attitude but like sometimes i'm like i would go to him in between because i'm friends with him and i would say like why don't you just shoot some balls you know just shoot yeah. a few i mean he was like 95 hit and he would just keep on swinging so can you fault that no but he would have probably won a lot more matches i think because beat you can't be one-dimensional mm. you, i mean we don't know anybody right who fully shoots all the time unless you're old and that's all you can do Yeah, yeah but um, someone at the top of their game has a power shot. They have finesse shots, they, and they have to go back and forth. If they do one thing, it's eventually going to catch up, John. So you don't
1: think there's space for somebody to be a full hitter or a full shooter? I don't think there's a space for a full shooter. I do think that in the game, there's space for full hitters. Well, you know? yeah, and then just I mean, smart decisions when you just don't have that set.
0: You're saying just to bring it all the time? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like Eric and I, we in transition, we would swing almost every time unless I saw a complete open shot. Like we were going to make you – I think the biggest thing is players don't get is you need to make the opposition earn their points, right? If we didn't – and Eric and I didn't care. Like if you blocked us, good for you. If you dug us and converted, well, good for you. But we're not giving you anything less than that. We're gonna make you score. We're not gonna hit the ball out of bounds. We're gonna try, especially in a transition play, we're gonna bring it. So in the transition game, I always like to swing. I love wow. to Yeah, I love, because most people don't, because in transition, you've just usually made another play. You've made a dig, you've ran down a shot. The body's telling you not to turn it up even another notch. If you watch the majority of people, when they dig a ball, or transition, it's usually a shot, you know, right. unless everything's perfect. So if you change that paradigm and just train yourself to hit when your body's saying no, right? When your body's saying, oh, you just made a great dig, now you're gonna finesse it. I think it puts you in a certain situation. The next type of coach might might have a different thought, but to answer your question, I don't think, well, like Brower, for instance, on the Netherlands, he's had a great career. So I wouldn't say he is unsuccessful because he hits all the time. I'm just saying, I think he would have one more with more of an array of shots, like being aware when he's playing the the Moles and the the Dollhousers and the the Jake Gibbs or the Alisons, you know, like where this huge block up, you gotta be, I love it though. I mean, I love when someone brings it every time, but I think to be really successful, I mean, you know, look at Phil. He buries the ball sometimes. Sometimes he shoots it. Mm. I always like to see the array, but I don't think that any player is better doing one thing. I think if you have, you need that combination of offense to reach your full potential. I think you can still be successful, win some tournaments, and be great. But could you be a little bit better if you were smarter? Sure. Uh, at times, so. I don't know if that that all that all, uh, that yeah, all you know
1: because we were talking to Russell Brought from LSU and uh-huh. we talked about what's the goal of transition offense and it's very opposite I'd say mm-hmm. t- to what you say like goal of transition offense is to then not necessarily get a kill but return the difficulty until you find a position so instead of going and you know swinging on a very difficult sw- set or going for low percentage swings hard. When you're not in an ideal situation, errors are more likely to happen for me specifically when I worked with Jordan Chang from USA volleyball, we looked at my transition game and my transition numbers were miserable compared to my first ball side out numbers. Mm -hmm. And I had to make a change there. I had to stop getting blocked and stop making hitting errors in those very difficult situations. That was like a 15 to 20% jump in my hitting percentage right there. So it's fun to see different mentalities on it, where you're said just bring it, bring it, bring it. But in the same breath, you're also saying, hey, you still need to have multiple tools.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you see something, uh, if you see the open shot, you go for it. But like you said, you know, sometimes you get blocked. Sometimes you make hitting errors. Right? Mm -hmm. Those are two totally different things. I'm not talking about reckless swinging and having the error come into play. This is you're hitting the ball. It's in the court. They're either making a play by stuffing you or they're digging you. Mm. You know what I mean? And in a transition game, when I was playing, we wanted to make you earn that point. Mm. Like, and we were okay with it. We were okay. Like if you dropped into my angle and you stuffed that ball, like, okay, good for you. You made a play, but the worst thing is to, is to err like to hit that ball out of bounds to to hit that ball in the net so i mean i'm talking about transition where you have a pretty high percentage of positioning Mm -hmm. and a lot of times if you watch athletes at any level even when everything is on point, the d- ball's been dug to the right spot, the set's in the right spot, you had enough time to get there, 85% of the people are probably still shooting. You know, I'd have to do a study to break it down, but, sure. which is, you know, it's, like you said, different philosophies, for sure, there's different philosophies, but when Eric and I played, we weren't the biggest guys, we weren't the tallest blockers, we were split well, yeah we were just physical we were going to beat you in the weight room and we were going to beat you in our stamina and the longer this match went on the less likely it is for you to win it but we weren't going to completely dominate you in anything but hustle you know what I mean and Mm -hmm. you control that and you know it was a different game that we played in the last game of big court and we played in the last game of regular The last game that that gold
1: medal match was the last international match
0: at at big wow well the court they had already implemented the they were testing it they called it the net the let rule which they just kind of put into play it was already in play in the olympics and then the court size shrunk that next year to eight by eight meters which was considerable right three feet on each end line and a foot and a half on each sideline, and the rally score was implemented yeah so yeah that was it that's did you you hate that
1: did you hate that switch or did you kind of take it in stride as like all right they're changing it let's rock from here
0: at the time it was tough change is always hard right and you don't know if it's gonna be good or bad I think they thought the powers that be at the international level, they thought if they sh- shrunk the court, there would be more rallies. That was the thinking of it, like less space. So, you know, it's like if you put a ping pong ball in a you know, a, right, a smaller right, yeah. space, it's, it's pinging around faster. What I think happened was the, you took a lot of the shooting, more of the shooting out of it. Cause people were like, I gotta get the ball down quicker because the defenders are, running down all the shots it's a short
1: like blows my mind because every when you go on like instagram or uh like uh lee's highlights on 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 youtube or Lee's classics all i see from those games is people bombing on big court and i'm like you guys had a football field to shoot into you know but everybody's just rocking balls rocking balls Mm -hmm. and i i didn't understand how there became it seemed like from like highlights it seemed like there was more swinging when there was an open court uh, or when there was a bigger court than there was in a smaller court. Did you agree with that? Or is it just the highlight selection
0: that made it more? (laughs) That's that's a good question. I don't don't know. Uh, You know, I don't know. I think their idea was the fact that you were going to just get the ball played more in the smaller court, but I don't, I I don't really know the effect it, it had. I just know that. It was easier to play defense. It was easier to receive a jump serve. You know, a lot of these players that like, I remember back in the day, Brian Lewis had a crazy jump serve, Adam Johnson, some of these guys just ripped jump serves and and it changed. But you know what? The players adjusted, right? You know, you still have players that are bombing jump serves and that, that are really great at it. So you always got to tinker around with a sport to find out, it to let it evolve. You know, it's like with basketball with the three-point shot. It's like, at first people were like, this is lame. But mm-hmm. now with Steph, Steph Curry, and what, world. <laughs> yeah, that's all kids are doing. And mm-hmm. it changes and it trickles all the way down. So I don't mind. I mean, at the time I'm sure I was like, these rules are kind of crazy. I'm not a huge fan of rally scoring. I understand it and why it can kind of control but if you chart a regular game right now and to 21, sometimes the score is two to one based on old sc- scoring. So it's hard to score 50. Wow.
1: Oh. Do you, yeah. Because it's saying? side out, side out, side out, side out. So like yeah. it, it, in, in a set that ends in rally scoring would still be the score yeah. two to one. Yeah. I, yeah. I just played pots down this weekend and you're playing for 45 minutes and it's like the score is two to three and it's been 45 minutes right right. (laughs) i
0: mean it's not it's not common but it could be you know it could be four to three Mm -hmm. and then you play another set and now it's 11 9 technically you know what i mean right if you were scoring it when people scored when they have a serve. I hate when people say real points, because like that's assuming there's fake points, right? Yeah. There's old school scoring when you had to serve and there's rally scoring on point per play. But you know, for the most part, the matches two out of three to, to 21 and the third to 15 end up being about the same as what old school scoring would be. But it's one of those things like it's back and forth, and then you kind of start to get engaged at like 18 all as a fan.
1: Yep. I agree you're like, you're like That's okay, why I love King of the court right now, because it's, yeah. it's like nonstop action, you right. know, I got to play in one, but then once I got knocked out, I was watching it I was like, this is so much fun. How much yeah. you have to constantly pay attention.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. You know, on the AVP now they got rid of the freeze. I thought the freeze was intriguing and it made it very interesting. Now, you know, you're down by five rally score. Most no, likely right. you're, you're not coming back, mm-hmm. you can but you're probably not. I would have liked to see the freeze implemented like internationally. And so you're not playing different formats, but it is kind of tricky as a spectator, you know, unless you're Mm a volleyball fan and you want to make it simple, as simple as possible, right? And I don't think some, your lay fan gets the double elimination either. So you want to make it fan fan friendly.
1: Kind of a question that
0: leads in or
1: that that led into is the amount of times that I've heard you say, and in this format, we play two sets to 21 with a third and deciding set to, to 15. And <laughs> it's not me being mad at you, it's always me going, why do we still have to explain like the basics to, yes, we need a bigger ground base for fans. We need to like encourage more people to show up, but how much are we catering nonstop to bringing more people into the sport Mm -hmm. versus the fans who are already engaged you know you never hear in a football game like Mm -hmm. and by the way there are four quarters today Mm -hmm. and it's 15 Mm -hmm. minutes per quarter you know like there's not a whole lot of explaining to that or explanation of the rules so do you think that it's because you're forefront of that and I don't know if maybe you took that upon yourself to always be explaining to the newbies what's happening or do you have producers that say hey man we got to talk about this make sure that you include this during the broadcast so that people aren't confused or lost
0: yeah that's a great question and the way you look at broadcasting a a volleyball event is you want to include the newbie the newcomer right that has never seen it before but you don't want to talk down to the expert or dumb it down. So you kind of want to w- walk this kind of fine line in, in the middle where the expert, if you say something like that, the expert's kind of like, yeah, of course, whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you don't want to annoy him. But the person that just changed the channel is like, oh, I didn't know that you you know what I mean yeah. why do we do that why don't we do that in tennis or I mean there are times I'm watching tennis and I'm like is this two out of three or is this three out of five because I don't know
1: right and the tie break always needs to be explained still and I played growing up and I'm like Wait, right you start on the right side and then you move left right <laughs> yeah.
0: so, but football like it's such a tradition right it's been going forever it's very mainstream you're talking anytime you're dealing with the big three MLB, NBA, NFL, it's pretty much is what it is, right? Like if you don't know, you gotta go, you know, get up to speed. Mm -hmm. Our sport, although it's been around for a while, doesn't have the tradition, doesn't have the mainstream access and exposure. And so a lot of times, and you've heard it before, you're getting this huge pop during the Olympics because people have never seen it before. Oh my gosh. We're always the number one sport. On the olympics but everyone's like oh what you know i I always see it in the olympics but uh, you know because it's hard to chase Mm. because it's not consistent you know i could go find out when the masters is right now for 2023 i bet we could go on google and find out right now right Mm. to find out when the us open of golf is you could find out where the us open of tennis is what weekend when it's playing when the first round starts could you go do that for volleyball
1: you can only know the major amateur tournaments, which is interesting. <laughs> like, it, like the same weekend, right? It's always right, been right. In the Pottstown, Waupaca, right. Seaside. Oh, like,
0: let's, oh, great. Those aren't being televised on a on a national level. The right. pros, the top level. Do you think you could find out a date? No, and beaches next year.
1: No, I mean we're in February this year, and I'm just like I can't plan our seven day camps because yeah. all of our coaches are gonna be at an AVP event. Right. So I'm like, now we're waiting on
0: that. Well, so that's, that's my point, right? And like mm-hmm. the tradition and because probably, probably it was 15 years ago or they started tinkering with dates, right? Like remember when I talked about the Laguna Open that I'd spend the night to go see, cause you yeah. had to get good, It was the weekend after I got out of school, every week It was the last week in June, weekend every year like i can tell you that right now so i didn't i don't need marketing i don't need to see a billboard i don't need to see anything and manhattan was the same weekend and clearwater and like they had you know the jose cuervo triple crown santa cruz and these things take place the same year every year and then someone got cute with oh manhattan's so big let's move the weekend and we'll put someone else there you know and then all of a sudden you start losing the audience in a sense so yeah we don't have that tradition, right? I can't tell you the weekend, except for maybe Chicago, right? Chicago's always yes, that I, was, weekend,
1: I was in the back of my mind the right? whole time.
0: Yep. And the only way we know that is like, over the years we've been kind of, it's just been embedded and it stayed there and it stayed there and it stayed there. That's the only tournament I can think of. So to wrap this up, what I'm saying is the consistency has never been there. And so you're constantly getting this new audience who's seen it for the first time and then they're gone. I mean, how many people say, hey Dan, oh my God, I saw the national championships. It's because we were on, for college volleyball, it's because we're on ESPN. Mm -hmm. Everybody turns on ESPN, everybody does by them seeing it, some of them are like still like i don't know what was there was five courts going on i don't really know what was going on but it was cool you know so i think as a broadcaster you're always getting that new person that's just flipping the dials and then you're getting that expert as well you know like if i just turn the channel and i hear someone say a real point yeah it's silly Right. Yep. Whenever I'm broadcasting with someone and they say it, I try to call them out on it. Like, what does that mean? Because right, it implies right there's a fake point.
1: Yeah, or a yeah. point, or a baby less- point, like from side out drills or something.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and so I think you're trying to educate as a broadcaster, but you're not trying to irritate the the veteran or you know the expert. But that's a valid point. Why don't we talk about format when tennis is being played? Well it's been around 100 years and most people kind of know it and just accept it for what it is right
1: yeah Oh, well, my too- summers like early summers you know early and late summer for me it was mm-hmm. always waking up to wimbledon my dad would turn on wimbledon and like i would sleep on the living room and i would hear that popping up the tennis ball because he wouldn't put it loud but just so he could hear it and that was always beginning of summer to me and then right before school always us open so like two parts of summer i knew it summer was beginning or ending because yeah. It was that popping of the tennis ball from my tv yeah. and
0: yeah we just kind of don't have those dates Deep- yeah that consistency is everything and i think it's hard to do that's that's why it hasn't been done again it's just hmm. it's hard to get people to commit like that far out and sponsors and you know the stability has been a bit erratic you know for yeah. the sport and it's just—I I would love everyone. I think would love to know where the venue is, know right. where it's going to be on that weekend, and so you get that tradition. That's when you truly can gain momentum, and you know I—I th- I hope that's the direction that you know. um, the powers that be push the sport because otherwise it's just almost this renewal on you know, this pop every Olympic cycle. And mm-hmm. it's so much more than that. As you said, it's, it's such a highly rated Olympic sport. Why isn't it in the forefront on every summer, the whole yeah. summer? Because the summer is a quiet time for sports, right? You got baseball going on, but on basketball ends, mm-hmm. there's no football and, you, you know, it's kind of golf and tennis or here and there. But yeah, you know, we could talk about it for all day long. But consistency is huge. And but as a TV broadcaster, I'm trying to walk that middle line. Sure. Um, and hopefully, you get a new fan here. And hopefully, while you're getting that new fan, you're not irritating the expert too much. And there's going to be times when the 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 new fan doesn't really understand stuff. But you know, mm. that's just the way the way it is. But that's kind of the thinking behind it.
1: Yeah. So every now and then we'll release on YouTube. We do it for our online members, but we do like big video analysis of championship matches where we go really deep with our members into actual strategy tactics, like Mm -hmm. different versions of three blocks, different versions of four blocks and separating defenders and separating blockers Mm -hmm. and the junkies love it, they dive so Mm -hmm. into it. But when you look on YouTube, that's where we got our hardcore fans but the views on YouTube are like 900 views because it doesn't appeal to the bigger base that doesn't quite get all the details yet. You know, yeah. there's always that huge base that doesn't dive that far into the game, but still enjoys mm-hmm. watching it. And yeah. I guess that's the stuff where you have to find that line of, as an announcer, as a commentator, how do I appeal to the most, to the biggest audience that's now watching on television or Amazon prime or Fox. So that has gotta be a tough line to walk. But I I have a kind of a quote from Sean Rosenthal and I wonder if you'd comment on it or, or see it for yourself. Sean said that his biggest disappointment was that he hasn't left the sport better for the current young 20 year olds better than he found it Mm. better than when he came in and he looked at that as, you know, not necessarily a failure, but something that he was sad about Mm. in leaving the sport. Do you feel that way about beach volleyball? right now that it's not where it could or should be or that it's sad and are there any thoughts that you haven't shared publicly about what you think would actually work because everybody on social media talks like why don't they do this why don't they do this and they're not behind enemy you know they're not behind enemy lines like talking to cities and trying to handle permits in new york city and all those logistics so everybody's got ideas without actually stepping up and taking it but do you think the sport's in a good place right now in a positive place and do you think that there's something that people are definitely missing that would pop the sport in your mind
0: well first to answer i don't think the sport's where it should be or could be based on my experience you got to understand i won my first event in 1997 split $60,000 in that tournament, my first win, $60,000, the purse was $350,000. So I got a check on next Thursday for $30,000. So to look at the tour now, of course, I'm going to tell you it's nowhere near. At that time, we were thinking, okay, there's going to be 10 years, we're going to be playing in $500,000 events, the winner's going to be splitting 100k. And you know it's just gonna go from there. So there's been so many ups and downs with the you know kind of what we talked about consistency and and keeping your fan base and whatnot. So it's been a challenge and now Bally's has taken over it the AVP, you know it, it's a new beginning. I don't know, you know I, I'm optimistic that they'll do, as much as they can for the sport. But it's hard because, in that quote that's interesting by Sean Rosenthal, I, I always wanted to leave the sport in a better place than it was, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard for a player, right? As a player, it's, it's hard to control those things. You got to be you. You get, you know, whether some players have more personality, some don't, but it's got to be managed correctly. And mm-hmm. the powers that be, the owners of the tour, need to always be pushing. I think Donald's son did a fantastic job, you know, pushing as much as he could, but there's, do you just... think he
1: missed anywhere? Did you think there was an obvious place where it's like, if somebody, if whether it was Donald or whether Bally's, if they do this in mm-hmm. your mind, would this be a better move or something that people are missing? You know, like the discussion of like, okay, paid tickets, sponsorships, where we're putting ourselves on TV. I think the schedule thing is something that I've never heard before and makes complete sense like why can't we plan out tournaments a year in advance so people know where to go and everyone can plan around that but is there anything that has been that people missed that you're like man this is how it should be and that would fix things
0: gosh you know there's so many different things
1: it's... are you being politically nice right now or are you are you genuinely thinking <laughs> no
0: i think of i had a thought in my mind that it came in and, and went out but because there's so many different things and it's hard to it's easy to like second guess what's been done Mm -hmm. in a sense but you just you know i don't know if the players i think maybe you got to care about the players right as a fan right like when i watch sports it's about the players it used to be all about the teams for me now i kind of really resonate to a player or not right Mm -hmm. it's like when tiger was golfing most people were big tiger fans but if you were the anti-tiger fan you liked phil right and you either you kind of need that hero and the villain for your story whatever whoever that is you know it was fun to see like jake and phil dollhouser go at it for a while but you know in my era i was watching like sinjin smith and and randy stokeless again Mm -hmm. Mike Dodd and and Tim Hovland. And you just have to care on that level. So I don't think it's something that the organizations have done, but players' personalities need to be showcased. I think one of the biggest things, if I'd point to one thing that the organizations could do better, whoever the owner is, it's getting local promoters and Mm. getting a vested interest in that city so there was a time where we had that but you can't run sixteen twenty events just as from la or wherever right. it's hard when you don't have locals in the market and i don't know exactly how that looks as a business but i mean like golf for, for like the genesis open tiger owns that in los angeles they spend a whole year putting that together mm. the genesis la open that's at the Riviera country club that's organized all year, you know, for that one event. And as soon as it ends, they start focusing on the next year that of course it's a PGA event, right? Right. But it's run by local promotion. Most yeah. tournaments like
1: here like- in Redondo, like the beach life festival, the music festival has been promoted yeah. nonstop across like all of my social media, the beach life festival with like the musicians. And it's, that was seven, eight months out and yeah because that's it, all a they're doing avp ad for right. like but you know, know made, like that maybe that's all
0: they're doing so imagine if you you know if you were you know you went to austin and you worked with a group in austin and they're like we're going to get the best venue we're going to lock this venue down for x amount of years we're going to promote it here we're, we're boots on the ground right mm-hmm. you know how it is it's one thing to be virtual and most things can be done virtually but You know, if you're local, you're going to do business with a local, you know, that nuts and bolts is going to, sure, the infrastructure can come from the bigger overseen, like AVP or the PGA or whatever, but the actual tournament, the local market has to be vested in it. Mm. Otherwise, you're just showing up and packing up and going until the next time around so if i were to point to one thing it would be involving the local markets a little bit more so they had a vested interest in making this the best event because it's hard to have a menu of 16 to 20 events and make every one of them great
1: right yeah I, i think somebody was saying recently they're like when we were in belmar belmar new jersey signs everywhere every club was contacted every juniors club indoor and everything was like coaches were saying, Hey, we got to go to that. Hey, we got to go to that. And in my mind that should be, you know, the AVP should personally contact every club director in the tri-state area from any tournament and be like, this is when we're going to be here. As soon as they release that date, those Mm -hmm. emails and contacts to at least the club directors should go Mm -hmm. out, you know, get the kids there. And then once you have that, then like, Hey, non-stop businesses but the regional contact for for businesses i think yes because i don't know which is crazy but i don't know the structure of the avp personnel right now and Mm -hmm. other than like josh and jeff who's reaching out to everybody to all these businesses and having phone calls and saying, this is where we're gonna be. Are you going to be there? Are you gonna bring your business there?
0: That's almost proving my point. Mm -hmm. You need either someone at that high level, and I'm sure there is someone coordinating that effort, Mm -hmm. but then you need that individual effort in each market. Right and that may exist to a certain extent. We're just speculating right now on how we see it from the outside and the nuts and bolts and the daily activities and personnel and the whole hierarchy of the business model. I'm not sure of as Mm -hmm. you're probably not sure of, but just from the history of what I've dealt with, I know when there's local promotion, like I used to, go fly into markets and deal with a local promoter. They were like, hey, we gotta go to this bar and sign autographs and then we go over here. And that like almost kind of boots on the ground Mm. philosophy really kind of turned up the interest in the market. So there's so many different angles. I just, I can't wait to see what Bally's does. You know, I think it's a fresh start. It's a huge company that's been successful for a long time and so, I hope it gets to that level, but you can imagine you ask me, is the sport where I thought it would be or should be when I tell you those numbers about 1997? You know, it's probably mind boggling to you. That was disheartening. Yeah. And, you know, in those days, it was a different time, but there was a lot of guys making 250K of sponsors before, before stepping on the court, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and more than that. Guys like, you know, Kent Steffes was, I remember he had Hawaiian tropics. He was with Oakley. He was with Fila, you know, you name it and just making a lot of money. And were
1: guys in that era better at reaching out or were more like, companies just pouring themselves into beach volleyball because it was so cool. And it was like a sport yeah. where guys had their shirts off.
0: Yeah. I think you know, so it that was wild. more, yeah, I think it was more like, whoa, what is this? This is pretty cool. It hadn't been bottled yet. Right. Okay like I told you there was in the 80s there was no grandstands mm-hmm. you know you've probably seen some of the old pictures of Manhattan or or Laguna it's just people mm-hmm. you know and you can barely see the court because it's not like it was sloped it was flat but it was i think that cool factor that cutting edge was on a higher level mm-hmm. and so if in the 90s you could be like oh my gosh we got to hit that demographic and remember this is before social media as well so a company didn't have the same metrics right so you're gonna dump things weren't counted as much either right you know let's dump a hundred thousand dollars into this now you can be like oh you put a hundred thousand dollars you know you're getting x amount of views yep. or the metrics and are then all you need there. this many views to get this many buyers yeah. And, but yeah. yeah and it's just back in the day you kind of more spitball it right like <laughs> oh my gosh that's our demographic we got to get a piece of that let's yeah. Oh, and who's on center court every day that guy let's sign him what do we got to sign him for doesn't matter let's get him Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yep and i think that's changed so you know it's, it's a fascinating conversation but yeah it would be nice to get those sponsorship levels back to to that level and it would be nice to get the prize money at a higher level so more people could support themselves as players and you know we knew even after 2000 Eric and I cuz the tour was kind of up and down like hey we got to play international and we got to play an AVP if we're going to be pros and, and right. you know make enough money and then there was a handful of teams right the top 2 3 teams that could do that mm-hmm. and then the other ones had to kind of figure it out it'd be you know it'd be so cool you, you know you you watch the kind of fight that's going on with the PGA right now we've seen that multiple wow, yeah. times right in beach volleyball at a micro level with with none of the money right right (laughs) we're gonna
1: give you a whopping two thousand dollars to play this tournament and it's like
0: so to see these guys like you know know, making these appearance fees and now i think it's four million dollar prize money for these live events it's going to put the pga in check in terms of watch how many more benefits the players get because competition's always good at the end of the day right someone's pushing the envelope the players usually win do you think the p1440 was good
1: competitively for the avp because you know i feel like the avp association of volleyball mm-hmm. professionals it was a union yeah a union of players that were like hey this stuff is too far out of our hands and currently there is in my mind no power to the players there's no union even though like that's what it was built on but mm-hmm. we're not having any say you know we get told in meetings right. what's happening and ask for our input but it's not like there's control and hasn't been so i feel like we're a lot weaker than than guys from from your era in terms of steering our own sport and right now like the power the most powerful voices are, are not even the strongest players they're the ones who are having the most social media influence
0: right so i mean let me ask uh answer the p1440 question it was interesting right it, I think that you know 1440 still going they're still got mm-hmm. there and i think when they first got out there they weren't sure of what direction you know are they going to be a tour are they going to be health music. yeah health yeah. you know and i think they were that's how you start a company you know and, and i think carrie and her team were trying to figure out what direction it was going in you know it's hard to say was it good or was it bad it's like a different level than what we're talking about golf golf we're talking about an entire tour started and I know p 1440 tried to put on a tour and it's hard, it's hard because mm-hmm. even at the volleyball level, people wanna see the best play, right? Yeah. And if the best aren't all there, it can, and when it gets divisive, it's hard. But I think any organization that's promoting volleyball, that's pushing is a good thing, right? Yeah. And if you're good enough, people are gonna play on your format that's just the way it is Um, and it was good
1: for a lot of players i mean a lot of players like got earned more prize money that year than any surrounding years or those two years than any surrounding years so it it wasn't terrible and it worked out for people and people were flying in international but i think you're right there was excitement and a lot of directions that people were looking at like any company like okay and at some point hey what are we doing the best what can we do the best and the easiest with the most efficiency and they dialed back
0: down I like I was looking in your uh chat. And it says, How about having a good product to watch? Where's the showmanship personalities? Why are you trying to promote an expensive traveling tour of boring technical volleyball that no one's interested in seeing? To That's me, interesting. I agree because that was one of my questions that I was gonna ask you
1: going into that. Like <laughs> I have referees and sportsmanship, and I know that you're coaching for USC and your The commentator but you're supposed to be you know color commentator so you're supposed to add some flavor but seeing everybody get hey if you stare somebody down that's a yellow card Uh, like
0: yeah i think it's silly i mean anything like that is silly i think what the nba is doing is silly like the nba they don't know well they don't know what they're calling like you know they let draymond green get away with a lot more than the next person then Mm -hmm. you know two texts and you're out it's it used to be more fun in terms of letting things and I think across the board sports have kind of buckled down on things a little too much that you think think it's too much I think it's too much you know hockey is the only people that get away
1: with this that like you know we brought fist fighting back into (laughs) into hockey you know in the early 2000s because it's more fun
0: well, that's, yeah, hockey that hockey's let's leave hockey in its own sure. corner, right? Sure. <laughs> because It's almost like a whole other part of the sport, the, the fighting. But on regular sports, I think that we've put out the fire, right? You yell through the net and like, hey, here's the yellow. We're going to, you do that again. You got a red card. It's like, you haven't done anything. Like, let me be free. Let me show personality i think we've extinguished it too much from top down like from the authorities from the referees hey you know the referees can control it or you know if referees have too much of an ego and you say something to them and they're pulling the card too quick and then eventually
1: i agree with you
0: yeah you're kind of like i'm not going to give this game away because i'm going to get carded so let me just keep it to myself and then that just kind of dumbs down the emotions yeah just uh, when the
1: fans are getting fired up
0: like yeah, I you love- Kelly plays
1: stare somebody down for a yeah. second and the audience fires up for that yeah. and yeah. then like the ref you know throws her a yellow card because it's too aggressive huh yeah. yeah
0: but it's the hard thing is they're being told that they're secure because referees they have meetings too you know what I mean and above the referees or the organizations they have you know, say of, Hey, what this, what is this going to be like? What do we want to? And it's just, you know, things evolve and it's like the NBA 20 years ago, was a lot more physical, right? You could could take a guy out, but you know, I don't want, I don't promote that. Right. And I get that. You got to protect players are making 40, 50 million a year. You can't have someone undercutting them. And, Mm. but just the little stuff, the taunting, like the taunting calls. I mean, give me a break taunting in football or in basketball it's like i think that's kind of laughable but i think it takes some personality away i think it 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 pulls the athlete back so based on that question you know and or comment we need i think beach volleyball needs more personalities more animation more fun more intensity more rivals because If it's, you know, there's, people love rivalries and people, like I mentioned earlier, love a hero and a villain. And they like when maybe that hero and villain are not that friendly, you know? And that all means something. Like just look at them, you know, the magic bird stuff back in the day. And Michael Jordan and whoever he Miller and Spike Lee just yeah. jawing it up, you know, yeah. in Madison Square Garden. That's the yeah. best. I don't think they liked each other, you know, and it was fun to see them express it. Yeah. So, you know, that's another angle that, but all these things, they can't change overnight. It's kind of. We need to uh, Dana effort.
1: White to, to head up the uh, referee association for a while.
0: <laughs> right right exactly exactly
1: (laughs) so we talk about that at the professional level are you also as the head coach of you know usc are you also okay with that at the ncaa level or should that be curbed or should professional and college sports be similar in terms of what they allow a little bit more chippiness i think is fine yeah don't let people throw hands under the net but staring somebody down and talking between points you're still going to blow the whistle when the surf starts.
0: Like I said, I'm all for it. Like you got to control it to a certain level, but I like giving players the freedom to express themselves to a certain point. You know, if you're using profanity or you're being personal and, you know, but like yeah, to the point, point where star- you can't televise it, Sarah yeah. Pavan star- stare down is exciting. Yes, You know what I mean? And there's intensity. That's the cool thing about volleyball you're on opposite sides of the net mm-hmm. so you have a barrier and in, in between there's no contact and so yeah i think even at a collegiate level you know you can i don't mind it you know i don't go out and just promote it you know and say hey you guys get out there get in their face or anything but you know if you're feeling good if you just knock someone down on a joust and you look at them and they're <laughs> on the ground like that's <laughs> volleyball that's why we started playing the sports it's kind of fun it's chippy so i you know i promote that at all levels so would you
1: say that sport then is and should be a psychological battle and a physical skill battle or should it be to me and this is my personal opinion and i'm sure i'll get messages about this but mm-hmm. like i i enjoy the psychological part of it of trying to take the upper hand psychologically you're feeling or or figuring out how you can mentally get somebody off of their technical skill i think that's a cool part of sport and that it should be the complete battlefield where some people like let your game talk for itself part of that game in my mind should be that psychological and social aspect of it but do you feel a certain way towards that? Or do you think that skills should always be rated against skills and the mind, the mental, the psychological, and the social should not be a part of the game? And I mean, you've kind of answered it in some way, but
0: no, I I mean, to answer your question, I think it's all the above needs to be at play. You know, I think it's not just skill. It's not just who's the better player. There's a lot of gamesmanship goes into it. And I think, every little thing you do on the court is can affect your opponent you know what i mean your opponent asks for the ball or something and you either toss them the ball or you ignore it
1: it two feet in front of the net
0: so they have to go and get it (laughs) like you know what i mean or it's just fun sports are fun and i think to answer your question you always have the psychological and i think that's how sometimes people can win you know, they can get you so rattled or out of your game or, hey, I don't even want to play this person because they're so in my face all the time, you know, and and I don't play like that. And, you know, it's games to life, right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's fun being putting it all in one, right? It's behavior, it's human behavior, you know, and you guys are, you're technically going for one prize. So you're always trying to get a little bit of an edge on your opponent and a psychological edge, like you mentioned, and that transcends any skill or anything. And some people are better at the psychological game and their actual game might not be that (laughs) that strong, but that's how they compensate. Right. And so, you know, and you run into like a guy like Michael Jordan, who's going to have both. He's not only going to crush you with his skill and his work ethic, he's going to crush you psychologically. And Mm -hmm. like, he was known as a real trash talker and, you know, Kobe as well, but maybe not to the same level, you know, who knows, right? A lot of that stuff was not documented and you hear from players, right? Mm -hmm. Other players were like, oh my gosh, you know, Bird told me what he was going to do before he did it. And you're just (laughs) like, what the, you know? And it's just, I think that's the fun part of sport and those battles, you know, are, are a blast. And I love rivalries. I love playing in rival kind of games. I love playing the best teams. I think I played my best volleyball whenever I played against Karch Karai because he's gonna bring it, you know? And you're like, you're playing Karch, you gotta bring it. And those are the players you want. The players that, was I gonna beat Karch every time? No. Did I think I could? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, it's all upstairs. It's like, you might be The next person might be like, oh, you're crazy. That's not realistic. It's like, well, it's realistic for me. Like, I'm not gonna get on the court unless I think I can win. I don't care who's over there. But, you know, I played against Karch. I played against Phil. You know, I know what their strengths in, you know, Karch, he's just, he's so intense. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, he doesn't take games off. That's how he played. Did he jab? Did Was he ever under the net, let uh, you know, much. get under your skin? Not much. He was kind of a guy. He was very intense, but his play was superior, you know? Mm. you look. Whenever I look at those top players, they're so good because you knew in a match they were only going to give you so many opportunities. And as those players got better, like you're playing a karch, you're like playing karch in Kent, you're like, I got two or three times that I'm gonna be able to score. And that's it. Wow. And if you don't score on those two or three times where, oh, there's the high line shot that you knew it was coming and you laid it out and dug it. If you don't convert, it's over. Like if you don't convert on those few points, that's it. Cause the rest of their game's too solid. Right. The first tournament that I got into I'll tell you a quick story me and canyon seaman played in the mid 90s 90 i think it was winter of 90 going into like the 96 season karch and kent played up at state beach every day their practice partners didn't show up so we stepped in and they're like okay you can be like practice dummies right we just played a match or game i remember it was we got like 11 points right it was like 15 11. we were like on top of the world right this is like second year of playing mm-hmm. and so we trained they said hey you know what when we come up here every week we'll train with you guys and so cool. Candy and i were so stoked right just by it, being near the court at the right time yeah we were training are, and yeah doing something up there and, and their part their other team didn't show so we've that all in. the
1: time i might like, just hang out yeah. near the courts you want to yeah. be on and there'll be an opportunity at some point yeah. okay yeah. Go, go
0: ahead yeah and so Every week that off season, going or preseason, going into the season, we played them. So first tournament of the year is Fort Fort Myers, Florida. We used to do four Florida events in a row, and we're killing it. We get to the final, we get to the final, and of course, who do we end up playing? We play Karch and Kent in the final. We're smashing them, serving them off the court, bombing aces. Canyon has this bomb of a serve. We're up thirteen to eight. Okay. It's a game to 15, right? This is the old school scoring. You got to serve. Yeah, they're
1: starting to... Typical bombing. team would start to let go at this point. They'd be like, oh yeah. man, we're... We're,
0: we're bombing. bombing. But, you know, we because we played them and we know we had to be aggressive. So anyways, long story short, they go on to side out 28 consecutive times. They beat us 16 to 14 and we're furious but happy at the same time, right? First final, mm-hmm. play cards, you know, whatever so excited get home wait for it because kent you would used to call me on monday or tuesday monday comes and goes no phone call tuesday no phone call never heard from him again okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh and then I'm sure got new practice dummies right so it was just it was i always tell that story that right place right time get in with the right people you know, if you're the best player on your court, go find another court because you wanna be playing with better players, it's gonna pull your game up. Mm. But my point being is that you gave these guys an inch and they were like machines, you know, they weren't gonna give up. They had already given up their allotted quota, yeah. right? At 13-8 right. and then to go on to just freaking side out, like it wasn't- Eight say yeah, that's so- crazy. And we're bombing serves, but eventually you're like, all right, that's not working and they chip away. But that was a cool story. It took me another year till I got our first win in 97, but that was pre 96. That was prior to them winning the gold. I think they won the gold that summer.
1: So they owe it to you in your practice (laughs) session (laughs) space.
0: But yeah, it's some of the great players just don't give you free points. You know, they're going to make one or two errors here and there. If you're not ready to capitalize on it, good luck.
1: Sure. I really want to be respectful of your time. I do have just like three more questions. I think they should be quick hitters, but number one, I always tell People, a similar lesson, like show up to courts when you don't have the people or you don't know how to get on better courts or players won't play with you because you're at a certain level. I get messages all the time. How do I find players to practice with players to play with? People won't let me play at a certain level. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to those players that are trying to upgrade their courts, the people they play against and trying to upgrade their level at the same time
0: it's hard like what you said be around like i don't know what the protocols are now and when people practice but i'm sure it's similar to it used to be people have to understand back in the day you used to go down the beach there was a feature court kind of on every beach like a court Mm -hmm. one and You would call winners and people would play all day long right those courts would get very exclusive like the locals wouldn't allow a lot of people to get in but then it kind of changed cartoon can't kind of change the game they started bringing down 20 balls each so you'd have four players bringing 20 balls down to the beach and they'd mm-hmm. have 80 balls and they'd do reps and they'd do reps and they'd play for two and a half hours and go home. It used to be like you go to the beach early, you'd play winners, you know, get up, you'd lose, you'd be back on the list to play again and pros would be at the beach all day long, right? You gotta understand, remember back in the 90s, you go to the beach, you didn't have a phone for someone to reach you, right? No. So you'd hang out at the beach, undisturbed. You'd be more present. You would be mm. down there. It wasn't like, oh, hey, we're having a pool party over here, or, you know, or we're going over there. It's just like, you'd go to the beach, you'd hang out all day. Mm. You were really cool if you had an answering machine. That <laughs> All you could call like from a pay phone or something and retrieve your messages, okay? Mm-hmm. So you'd go to the beach and that's what you would do. But then Karch can't change the pro approach to training, like go down the beach from 8.30 to 11.
1: You attribute oh. that to them, to oh, two and a half hour practice oh, there's, sessions there's that no is pressure. now like the standard. Yes, yeah. They Randy them. always like talks smack on all of us saying like, you guys don't know how to train. We used to be out there all day.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because Randy, and he's absolutely right. And you Mm -hmm. got battle tested too, right? And you'd be at play all day and you play a ton of games. Then Karch kind of brought in the, no, you rep it more, right? That's Mm -hmm. probably what they did in indoor. So we used to play a game with Karch and Ken all the time. Everyone would do 30, like you would do 30 balls serving and your partner blocking, right? And the other part, like, so I would serve you and your partner 30 balls then you would serve me and my partner 30 balls. Then my partner would now serve you guys 30 balls. Like mm. And you try, I remember you'd, we'd always try to get to about 24, which was about 80%, okay? But that's a lot of reps. And yeah. I mean, you'd literally almost have 100 balls at the beach. That would be a common thing when you'd see those guys And they would get it done two and a half hours, leave, go work out, do whatever you do. And, but the hangout always kind of changed in the process of what people are doing now. Yeah, I would definitely attribute that to Carch and Kent, the way that kind of turned.
1: How does that player upgrade their game or get into a better player
0: group? Yeah, no, yeah, you gotta get, beach volleyball is clicky, right? People that move here from that aren't from California that are good players sometimes have difficulty getting games because you've seen the groups that won't let other people in just because it's clicky, you know, like you surf at the wrong, you don't know them,
1: yeah, you don't want to waste your time and like see somebody shank a ball all day, yeah.
0: Well, but even I'm saying, even if they're good, groups won't let them play, Mm -hmm. right? You know what I'm talking about, where it's clicky, it's like going to surf at the wrong spot, it's like (sighs) you're not getting any waves, I don't care if you're freaking you know the best guy out here if you're kelly slater like till you kind of get initiated in or we let you kind of in or
1: desperately need that fourth
0: yeah yeah <laughs> and then you kind of and like you said if you're hanging out at the right time but you just kind of got to be in the environment and play and eventually people let you in and from that point you want to get on a court where the players are better than you and kind of keep working your way up that's the way i see it But if they're
1: not in that neighborhood, you know, I'm I'm sure that you don't get every one of your girls from like California or from MB Sand or something, the people who are trying to get to that next level, but won't be welcomed in the top court in Georgia, let's just say that like Atlanta, Georgia, how does that person, what method would you give them to say, this is how you get on the top court, stay on the top court, this is what you tell the top players
0: or where you show up? Got to be patient. I mean, you got to push, but be patient. Like I grew up and I was born in Laguna Beach, raised in Laguna Beach. I had two older brothers that kind of went through the system. I remember locals would be like, oh, you're on court too. And I was getting pretty good at a certain point, I thought. And it's like, no, you're not there yet. You know, like there was this hierarchy to get to a certain level. And I was a local technically, you know. But I mean, I was a teenager, a young kid. But it's just the way the sport is kind of. You kind of have thick skin too, and just be like, and get, if you get the system, if you come and you're all sensitive and you're like, hey, I got all this game and I'm just gonna jump on the top court and play, you know, you're probably gonna run into some interesting situations, but just be patient. I think the best thing is to train with pros, like to be like, if I were young coming up and I was like kind of a beach rat, I would be at the beach and be like, hey, can I help you guys train? Because no matter how good you are, there's always that in between time. It's just like, oh, you want to go in? You want to do a round? And now you just did 10 passing reps and whatever. And you're just kind of working your way through the system. But I don't know if that makes sense. That's how I would approach it. Yeah, I like
1: that. You know, be around the courts and ask. But when they say no, that's not your infinite no. That's right. your no for that moment, for that minute, for that half hour. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then throw it in there again.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. it's, you know, you just got, like I said, just keep coming and keep working on the game. And someone's going to eventually, like you said, someone's not going to show up one day because we know how that works. And when I do clinic and coaching nowadays, I always tell everybody get three or four new numbers because it's just the way the sport is. You got a tournament tomorrow morning and you get the call at seven at night. Hey, you know, I'm sick or I can't play. And you better have a list of players. Like, you know, you can pick up the phone, give it a shot. But it's weird how those
1: social things of like just getting numbers, connect with people, like ask them for a phone number, their Facebook, their Instagram, whatever it is, and then just get that so you can make that social connection will maybe pave the way to a better playing situation, competitive situation. Yeah.
0: It's fun talking about volleyball and the kind of nuances behind the scenes, but let's just hope it keeps growing. And I think you mentioned something early on about me doing the volunteer coaching thing. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, did you have a plan of being a a head coach? And, you know, and I really didn't at the time. I was Anna Collier, who is the former head coach. We've known each other 20 years. She was coaching Jenny Johnson and Annette Davis in the 2000 Olympics when I mm. went to the 2000 games with Eric Fanoi Moana. And oh, she I didn't called- know Moana was their coach at that time. Yeah. And so she, oh, wow. she she called me and she's like, hey, there's this college thing you should get in. And so I came and I met Sarah Hughes and Kelly Clays and Allie Wheeler and and all these players. This was 2015. They were in their sophomore year and they were so focused. And I said, this is something I could do. I didn't want to deal with just half-ass kind of players. I didn't know what to expect. And they were so professional and so on point. I was like, let me give this a shot. We ended up going 28-0 that year, winning Gosh. the AVCA championship. And then they just even got more fired up because 2016 was gonna be the first NCAA collegiate championship. So mm. we won that as well, the first one. And then they were like, we got a repeat. And so we ended up winning three consecutive years, 15, 16, 17. 18 was when UCLA won and 19, I went and actually did the broadcast for the national championship. So I kind of moved on and then Anna Collier stepped down in the summer of 2019 and the job was open and I got lucky and got the position and know there was a ton of applicants. and But I think it did help having those four but years
1: hanging out around the court <laughs> you know right. you're like yeah. you volunteered your time and then now you're at the helm of the premier and a lot of uh, people say like how
0: did you volunteer like kind of like you were saying like right you, and you got it busy so successful and you're just like
1: yeah i'll take out three hours a day to yeah. drive down come it back it was
0: fun though and there was Okay. You know, it's kind of like follow what your passion is and, cool. and how, you know, I was enjoying it. It wasn't like it was work, even though I wasn't getting paid for it. I was having fun trying to give lessons to the next person and pass down any type of tip or trick or something, you know, and make the youth better. Kind of like what you're doing with the coaching. It's just fun to see that success. But I was very fortunate, you know, to get the job. And then, you know, you set your standards. My standards always been very high. And the first year I was here was COVID. So we didn't have a year. So like you said, the first active year, put together a really amazing team. I think the team that we had was the best team that's been assembled in collegiate beach volleyball. We just had the depth, the athletes, the culture, and they were just laser focused. And after winning the first year, they were like, we got to repeat this. And win the second year. And it was an awesome run. And, you know, college sports, it's constant turnover because they're freshmen and you blink an eye and they're seniors. But the standards are high at SC. The program was in great hands and Ana had gotten it to a certain point. So I was just like, I got to live up to this. And (laughs) so we worked extremely hard to pull off what we did. And I got a great assistant coach or assistant coaches. Oh, yeah. Gustavo Hocha from Brazil and Laurel Weaver was our other assistant coach and the three of us I think complemented each other really well and like I said we had some fantastic players that were hungry really hungry and I love the pro on um, the collegiate format the best out of five the Do you five think it has the future
1: in it? cities or countries. That, i think it could cool work i think it
0: cup style i think it could work i mm-hmm. think there's room for some sort of hybrid more format because honestly i think double elimination straight bracket gets really old it's cool and all but the five team format where the fifth team is just as important as the first team
1: that'd be fun uh, to see internationally That would be really fun to see internationally.
0: It's intense, at least to have some specialty events. Yeah. Kind of like that. But I do, I think the format that women's college beach volleyball has right now is the most fascinating and exciting. It's so fun to see the energy go from one court all the way to another court and everybody (laughs) runs over there. As soon as it's over. (laughs) Yeah. And the national championships should come out to Huntington in 2024 five, I think. So finally, it'll be the first time out of Gulf Shores, who's done a tremendous job putting it on for all these years, you know, when it was an AVCA championship. Now, almost, what, seven years into national, the NCAA championship and it's fun to go to gulf shores if you haven't been there's this bar called the hangout that hosts the tournament right in front of facility and it's a cool spot it's a lot of fun but it'll be interesting to see when it starts to move around
1: well okay i've got one last a final question for you and i've kept you uh, to 23 minutes beyond your time that you allowed me you've lived as been around interviewed talked with champions Mm -hmm. absolute champions of the sport you are one you've coached them you've interviewed them you've played against them is there something that you see in their eyes when you meet them when you see them move when you see them play that differentiates those people the championship caliber people what is it in their game that makes them different is it their person their skill set stats their personality how do you define that champion and how do you see them and separate them from the rest
0: now what level are you talking like the collegiate level of any level let's go avp usually someone who's coachable is important and when i say that it's someone who's receptive to new instruction someone yeah. who doesn't think that they have it all figured out i've seen some of the best players like like a Sarah Hughes who is extremely coachable right like even though she was top of her class maybe arguably the best player to play collegiate volleyball she always wanted to learn and like Tina Gordina also was is the same way she hey how do i do this okay she go do it she come back did i do it correctly Mm. so that sense of i want to learn more i want to absorb more and i think if we all take that approach as coaches like like i could coach for 100 years i still would have a bunch to learn, right? You still, you, you wanna have that open mind. And then you always wanna have that kind of gratitude about you that, hey, you know, I'm appreciative that this tour exists, that I have the ability to make this money, that I can walk and function and be an athlete. Like if you start coming from that, I guess, place of humility and gratitude and openness to learn, even if you have like the swag or the confidence there's still kind of that you see that underlying, like, hey, you know, I'm still learning stuff. And when you see that kind of demeanor, it's almost like a demeanor that someone carries themselves with. You can the kind of tell, hey, demeanor, or the what's
1: that, or the the learning demeanor, the open to coaching demeanor. Is that the demeanor yeah. you're talking about?
0: Yeah, open to coaching, the humility, the gratitude, kind of that appreciation that they have the tools. That's when you kind of truly see greatness and the intensity when they get on the court. You know, that intensity is, everybody shows it a little differently, but there's different characteristics that players have, but you'll see it a lot off the court too. Like the work ethic, if you're around someone off the court, like do they show up on time? Do they lift? Do they lift because they want to get stronger? Is it a job or... Are they actually enjoying it? You know, that passion as well. So, you know, to sum it up, the humility, the gratitude, the coachability, the passion to play. You you know, if you get players that like are sitting around and they're like, what are we doing? Let's go play. Mm -hmm. Those are the players you want, right? Not, oh my gosh, I gotta practice. Right. To practice. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, here we go again. Practice rather than like, Oh, what am I going to learn today? I'm yeah. gonna learn something today. I'm gonna get a little bit better today, but not everybody has that. Sure. So.
1: Is there a way to put that in to somebody or is it just something that they have?
0: Passion, I don't know. Maybe at a very young age, but it's like I have a four and a half year old now and I don't want to steer him anyway. You know, mm-hmm. I wanna introduce him as much as I can. And I think the passion's gonna come by him figuring out what he loves to do rather than where dad thinks he should be. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think that's where a lot of people err, like, oh this is he's gonna be as great as I was and even better in this sport. Like if they go that way, good for, you know, that's great. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the passion I think kind of comes from experiences. Some people like hate athletics, right? They're like, I'm not athletic, I don't touch a ball. They might've had a bad experience. You know, they might've had the parent was like, you know, catch the damn ball or something. Your gym class is miserable
1: because of one or two kids or, you know, and that shuts you off permanently. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I think it happens young. So you say, can you build it? I think you can repair it if it's been damaged. Like, but sometimes, you know, I think as we get older, it it gets a little harder to create that. Mm -hmm. But I think you can change, like if someone thinks, oh, this is a bad experience I had and I don't like doing that sport to, oh my gosh, I've just found this coach that gets me. That Uh, really is, he understands me. This is fun now, you hmm. know. But I think as we get older, that it's harder to do, Yeah, you know, but sometimes you look less,
1: you know, or you're less open to it. So that's interesting that you think that a coach can reignite or ignite something just because you enjoy being there in that moment because of that person. And I think that's in a lot of situations, endeavors, hobbies, workplaces, whatever.
0: Yeah. And I think as coaches, we have that responsibility to create an environment that is engaging so Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to always be fun but you want them engaged always engaged if they're engaged and they're open-eyed and Trying to work on something. I think it's when the message or the instruction isn't engaging. And so, you know, it's like having it being in class when you're a kid. It's that teacher that was just talking like this all day long. You're just like, what am I doing here? Right. Sport and then law.
1: Yeah. I remember that class. <laughs>
0: and the next year, you're in a similar class, but the teacher's on fire and mm-hmm. keeping everybody engaged. And you're like, oh, this is cool. Like yeah. that's all I got.
1: Thanks, Dane. <laughs> appreciate the talk, appreciate the time. Is there anything that you've got going on currently that you want people to follow, pay attention to, support, any nonprofits, any place that people should follow you to keep track of things or your team or your companies or endeavors?
0: Yeah, no, you know, I'm easy to get a hold of. I'm on the the social media pl- platforms just as Dane Blanton, easy to to reach all of our stuff with uh, USC is at USC athletics, just you know, click on beach volleyball and you'll find everything about our team. And we also have clinics uh, called Trojan Beach that we like to do. And we're putting that schedule together right now. Are those for yeah. just juniors, uh, juniors and adults? What, what? Uh, yeah, that's usually uh, junior high and high school kids. Okay. Uh, and we do that at our facility here. We have three courts right on campus, which is awesome. really cool. And yeah, it's fun getting ready to start to do the summer season of broadcasting for the AVP. And like you said, it's been so many years that I've been a part of the broadcast team, which is, I'm so appreciative of. And it's been, it's a blast because, you know, you stay connected and keep your finger on the pulse of of what's going on out there. And it's fascinating to watch. But our women's side is in a good place because of the collegiate beach system. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're getting training at a much younger age, trained correctly, and then they're going out to be pros. And so it's fun to watch some of the players that have gone through our program that are out there now representing. And so many
1: ready for the pro life immediately, like on point, no adjustment period or anything.
0: Yeah and so that's it you know and to chat and talk about volleyball and always open to learn new things and i'm real happy that i was able to spend some time
1: man i appreciate it so much thank you for the talk absolutely awesome guys reach out go ahead follow Dane blanton said get on him in social media and see what he's up to and for sure you guys will be seeing him on NBC, ESPN, national championships, everywhere. You can't be in beach volleyball and not find this man. So good getting to talk to you, man. I thank you so much for coming on. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it.
1: All right. You have a good afternoon. I'll wrap it up, but if you want to hang up and your thing, you're all set.
0: Okay. Sounds good.
1: Have a good one. Cool, guys. That was cool. I like he's a voice. Dame Blanton's a voice that you get to hear constantly. You know, he kind of represents the sound of summer for so many of us who are watching on TV or watching on different programs, and he's a champion himself. He's had the championship conversations, he's had he's coaching current champions, world champions, and national and, and NCAA champions. So it's just Really cool to see somebody who's doing it all in the sport and has done it all. I think that was just such a pleasure. And I'm grateful that we've had here live the largest audience that we've ever had. So thank you guys for watching. A few announcements from me, from us, our camps for the fall are live for booking so we have two camps right now live i think early bird pricing is still available for our second camp which is in november in saint petersburg florida our first camp sold 49 spots in two days so we have 11 spots left for the first camp which is october 30th and if you're not on our email list or you're not there remember that we just do a tiered system just to show our support for the people who support us. So our player members from our complete player program, where we coach players twice a week and we give them all of our courses and we guide them step-by-step through mastering the game, those people, They get the first notice because we know how much of our stuff sells out now, which is wild. Thank you so much. Those people get first crack at it. And then we send it to our email list members. They get the next crack. And then finally, our release it to social media and our website. Given that our October 30th camp last year was the hardest one to fill. This year, it sold out all but 11 spots within a few days. I know that our Christmas camp, the December 26th, and our New Year's camp, January 1st, Those are going to sell out super fast. I know right away, and we have a limited space at that resort, we only have a few, and we keep a really low uh, coach to player ratio. So we make sure that everybody gets great coaching. If you're not on our email list, or you're not on our member program uh, you're not a complete player program then you might want to consider doing that as we release it because we're releasing a new camp date every week then we do that tier system so if you want to come to camp hang out with us hang out with a bunch of ap players and amazing coaches and meet new people hang out with volleyball players from around the country and around the world and literally get friends for life that's what's been really cool to see that after meeting new real real adult friends at these awesome active sporty vacations people then get to go and travel to other states other cities and meet up with new volleyball players or volleyball players that they met at our camps and then they get to either stay at their houses. We have a number of campers who have stayed at other campers' houses in different cities and stayed here. One of our campers actually stayed at my place here in Redondo Beach in California. And so you really truly at these camps make friends for life. So invite you to those. Go to betteratbeach.com forward slash camps. If you ever wanna book us for a clinic in your hometown or you know a facility, if there's a bar with three courts or a true beach volleyball facility, we just need a minimum of 12 people committed for the full day because we go hardcore on our clinics. It is seven and a half hours of training, nine hours total span, and we bring excellent coaches. It's not like a two or three hour thing, it is an intensive course and it's physical and it's fun. So that's at betterbeach.com forward slash clinics if you ever want one of those. Our complete player program is firing right now, absolutely firing. We have A ton of members in there. Currently, everyone on our team is working on offense. This one is side out and win tournaments, the offensive masterclass. So, we're working on everything from footwork, spacing, vision, decision making, strategy, the mental game, as well as arm swing mechanics and jump mechanics. And we are slowly moving into our ultimate defender program. So, as we move through the summer, piece by piece, We go through each step of the game. And it's not just recorded courses. You can always sign up for just a recorded course and not get our coaching. And you will get a ton of great information on strategy and everything like that. So our recorded courses are the most packed piece of content that you can get. But if you want to sign up for our membership, then you also get access to our private Facebook group where you can post videos, your videos, and ask your questions at any time. And within 24 hours, you get a coaching on it. So if you want us to look at your swinging, you want us look at your passing you want us to look at your setting you just take the videos that we tell you to post them on that group and then we coach you and we show you how to do it right or how to do it better we really invite you over to that and you can find out all about that at better this was such a pleasure i really want to thank you guys i know i send a big email out to everybody but i really appreciate being able to create something <laughs> where i can support other volleyball players where we're giving people jobs we're employing coaches, and assistants, and social media people who are doing just such tremendous work for us. And we're creating events that make people's lives happier, better, or enjoyable. We get physical, active vacations, which is my style, my flavor. I don't go on vacation to lay around. I go to play, compete, and meet new people who are like-minded. So if you're that type of person, come on to our camps, invite you. It's going to be awesome, we'll hang out all week. And as always, Thank you. And if you have any questions, reach out by social media, email support at better at beach.com. So shoot us a message through a DM or an email and to hear from you. Thank you guys so much. This is Mark Burick signing off guys, get better and I'll see
0: you on the sand.